Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesker demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up, fools, and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. Today, we're talking a movie from 1991 that feels like it's from 1980, <laughs> The People Under the Stairs. Kelly asked me about this one before sitting down, and I, and she's like, so we're watching a, another horror movie? And I was like, well, first of all, take it easy on horror. And she's like, oh yeah, Wes Craven, the master of horror, this isn't going to be scary. I thought John Carpenter was the master of horror. I mean, Wes Craven, despite being the second coolest Wes around. So look at his filmography, and I was a huge Nightmare on Elm Street fan. But other than that, his biggest success was Scream, which was great for its time. And other than that, The People Under the Stairs and uh, The Hills Have Eyes. The People Under the Stairs, though, was an odd choice and inspired more by what movie? Because we need a companion, a bonus episode for Barbarian. And Barbarian reminded me of The People Under the Stairs, which I hadn't seen in a few years. As in in 30 years? Welcome to the last gasp of Halloween 2022 or whatever movies. Halloween XL. It's like with Nick Cage month, we just can't help ourselves. Had you seen The People Under the Stairs? I feel like this is one of those movies like A Nightmare on Elm Street that you would have tortured me with as a child. Yeah, you remember flashes of it? Or you would have like strapped me down. (laughs) I really don't remember anything, but I feel like this is a movie that would have terrified me as a kid. Oh yeah. So I actually traced my age for this. 1991, I would have been 15 years old when this was released in November. And I definitely remember elements of terror and being scared in this movie that I think I should have aged out by age 15. And so I remember being scared by this movie, but to watch it now, I didn't get any of that. No chills? No thrills? Nope. How about you? Uh, no. (laughs) I watched this in distanced wonder. In a single sitting? (laughs) Yeah. In a single sitting. Yeah. I mean, a little distracted. Brian was like cleaning in the kitchen. It starts out with terrifying tarot. Puts the terror in tarot readings. Yeah. Tarot always reminds me of Tombstone where she's like, and death and the devil. 
Oh, dear. <laughs> Just before Morgan gets taken out, spoiler. And so, yeah, it's a nice foreshadowing device, yes. Uh, thinking about Barbarian, I guess it isn't too quite... In my, in my memory, this is firmly <laughs> Detroit, but it's not. It's actually Los Angeles and intended <laughs> to be. The Metropolis is never specifically named, but it doesn't seem like it tried to put on airs. It seems like it was meant to be L.A. Yeah, I think it was totally intended to be L.A. and some kind of commentary on... Angelino gentrification or yeah. class classism. Yeah, definitely some political overtones that uh, Wes Craven is really reaching. I don't know that any of his other movies were as overtly political uh, as this one. Seems kind of socio-culturally woke for a 1990s film. I get this this movie feels light and, and silly in a lot of ways, but I feel like he was trying really hard to make it relevant and deep. Whether or not he achieved that is, is up for some debate. Which is so weird and incongruent with how all over the place the film is. Like, the message feels pretty steady for a film that's all over the place. Is it comedy? Is it horror? <laughs> yeah. Kelly Ray was pretty annoyed at me for making her watch this one. She said yep. that Mommy and Daddy were the most ineffectual adults she's ever seen. <laughs> Like the sheer amount of times that they had these kids in their clutches and let them get away. I was wondering if we can get a shotgun count on how many times Daddy and Fool had each other in each other's sights. Well, I mean, were they scary? Um, in like a maybe like a inbred psychological kind of way. Like in an unhinged, deranged, completely misguided kind of way. Stephen King parents kind of way? But Stephen King parents aren't crazy. They're just so oblivious and absent that, that they're remiss. These guys were obviously psychologically deranged and made some really bad decisions. But it was their dynamic. Their dynamic was so distracting that I didn't even think about how bad they were just as like functioning adults. They were super savvy as adults. Like they were fantastically rich and had corporations and stuff to enforce the evictions, you know, and they also own the liquor store and stuff. And I, I think that they were smarter than they let on. They're just, they let their freak flag fly when they're in their own house, like mom. <laughs> Whenever mom does something weird or gross, she's like, I'm in my house. <laughs> and somehow that justifies it. It's true. Don't you find that it's important to touch base with the outside world just to keep you from going completely weirdo? <laughs> I don't know that it would have saved them. The mommy and the daddy were pretty, I mean, I think they were well suited to that house. Yeah, so they obviously put a lot of effort into their house. They had the foresight to create the multi-operational staircase to un yep. under the stairs. They can alternately make it into stairs or slide at any given time. They had the controls, like the shutdown DEFCON 1 controls. Some contractor out there, probably as freaky as them, is getting paid to, to keep quiet. <laughs> what else did they have? Uh, well, the, yeah, they had the shutdown everything, daddy police outside controls, where they make it look like a normal house with normal lighting and stuff. They're also freakishly fast at cleaning up the house. I mean, they wrecked the house. They were, sh they were shotgun blasts through the drywall. Yeah. Or through the wood paneling. And then when the cops came, everything was nice, tidy, neat. Yeah. And, and something happened where they can shut the door and lock it on their own. When she's like, right. where'd that half go? Yes. So they had lots of money. They ran their real estate businesses. Apparently, they ran the family funeral home business prior to that. They had their... <laughs> 
they had their super house super that was house. all outfitted. The late great Roger Ebert, his contribution to this movie and to this review was he called it Funeral Home Alone. <laughs> so you can see how that association would be made. That's like, this is Christmas time, this is Halloween time. Which was around the same time, wasn't it? Yeah, well, a year later, yeah. This feels so, so dated compared to Home Alone. But at least in Home Alone, it's funny that you mentioned this because Brian also referenced Home Alone. Because, you know, he was appealing to some kind of movie logic. He was like, at least in Home Alone, Kevin was prepared. Like, fool goes back into the house with nary a weapon or a plan. Yep. Like, what is he thinking? He's that badass that he's just going to go and take down mommy and daddy on his own he's with his bare hands? Is that what this was? We know that Spencer was was gone already. We know that Leroy was gone. He was only going back for the girl, Alice. Did she look, Alice, did she look uncannily like Lorraine from Back to the Future? Uh, maybe, in a way. She was on Drexel's Class, which nobody remembers, a Dabney Coleman show. And I was super in Teenage You Love. And then she was in the, the People Under the Stairs. All damsel in distress. Yeah. And fool's going for it. It's all about her. She, I would argue, is the actual... Fool's Gold, which I think this movie should have been called. Wow, that was a long setup for that joke. Yeah. But I agree that the title is a bit of a misdirect. It's not, this movie is not at all about the people under the stairs who are, re- are really weird and, and strange and inconsistent. The concept of all of these discarded cannibalistic children is definitely creepy. But why were they, they did, they certainly didn't seem like children. And why did they turn zombie? Does cannibalism turn you into a zombie? Uh. Like what was with the face paint? And when they all descended on mommy, Brian was like, they look like a really bad commercial grunge rock band. (laughs) Yeah. Slipknot type goes after mommy. I mean, she'd been conditioning them their entire adulthood or childhood or whatever. By feeding them and then you turn on the one, your captor or whatever. But it was a little bit excessive. I, I just attributed it to dirt and a- being ashy and like all like grungy and like layers caked on their faces. I'm not sure. Even though they had, yeah, like like Kurt Cobain flowing locks type deal. But unrealistic for sure. I mean, there was the idea that you'd have all these strong kids down there and there's like plywood keeping them in their little corral or whatever. So it leads me to a larger question about this movie of who this movie, what age it was intended for. Fool was 13, supposed to be 13, which is a little bit older than Kevin, who I think was 10 or 11 in Home Alone, right? Yep. But what demographic was this movie for? Was this movie for kids? Because I did check. I hadn't seen this in a while. And I was like, she's like, so how scary is this movie, Kelly Ray? And I looked and she's like, is it PG-13 or is it R? And I was like, well, yeah, even though I don't remember it being an R. And then it said 18 plus, which is very different from what I remember. And there's a considerable amount of gore. And in the 80s, dead bodies and rib cages and cannibalism was maybe less of a thing. Like, you can go hard in the 80s, and this was 1991. Again, it feels like the 80s, like you said. But, I mean, in a way, it was sort of the Goonies, right? If the Goonies was contained in a house and the Fratellis happened to be, like, racist cannibals, it was (laughs) kind of silly, right? I think it was intended to be silly. Yeah, I think this was intended to be for an adult audience looking for a freakish kind of dark romp. And Wes Craven before this, um, kind of a white dude. Do you think he wrote all of this? Because it says it was written and directed by him. Kind of a white dude, you said? 
Yeah, I mean, sorry, he's kind of a white dude. Did Wes Craven <laughs> pull out of his butt? I done busted this house's cherry. Too old to get tit, too young to get ass. Or was that just the brilliance and improv of Vin Rames? You thought he was white before. You should see that sucker now. By the way, the first of two Ving Rames with a leather suited gimp in the basement movies. <laughs> My favorite, which has no racial connotation, is <laughs> just because a man is lying down doesn't mean he's dead. <laughs> he did. I mean, it was obviously a misdirect. We were made to think he was dead. Was he taking a nap? What was he doing then? He was listening in the grate. Oh, that's right. But, but listening so intently as he was, he didn't hear Fool say, Leroy, until he touched him and then scared him. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you can throw a stone at the people under the stairs and hit a crazy ass quote, which <laughs> yeah. may have come from Wes Craven or may have come from the actors. It's hard to but know. But still, another instance of ineffectual adults. Leroy was supposed to be the savior and he died pretty quickly. But he did die like a hero. He died literally yelling for Fool to get out of there. Really? Because he puts Fool in some pretty bad and sticky situations before. Run, Fool! As he's getting shot. It's hard to say R Ving Rhames' dialogue not in Ving Rhames' voice. Did you also notice that in an effort, I guess, to reduce the horror or the shock value. Like, I really do think this was aimed at a younger, maybe not quite full level audience, but somewhere in the teen range. Did you notice that during the more horrific parts, particularly involving the dog, the volume went way down? It's like some old person was editing it and was like, no, 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 it's too loud. Turn it down. <laughs> All the dog stuff is mixed down. Leroy's getting eaten and Fool's trying to pull him away. And to distract him, he says, hey, to the dog, your mother slept with a cat. And it's really hard to hear. And at one point, that's the earliest one and the most severe, where the volume goes from a 10 to like a 3. And the, uh, the gunshots are barely audible. Hmm. It's really curious. And they did it like four more times. They were like heavy scenes, mostly with screaming and, and gunshots and stuff. I appreciate that. I appreciate a mix that doesn't go all gonzo and wake up my kids. Well, you you need some level of the mix for the surprise, for the shock value or whatever. When you're in the house and then boom, like the daddy's firing the shotgun. Or like so. boom, tongue comes breaking out of the drywall. Tongue? <laughs> what was his name? Roach. That's what I meant. He's like anti-tongue. He's like the least tongued person in the movie. Well, you know, ironic. It's an ironic name. <laughs> <laughs> I think Kelly gave him a nickname too and I don't I didn't write it down so I don't remember what it was. Tongue is pretty good. Okay. Did this movie kink shame daddy in his leather outfit? Ooh. Uh I can't think of a time that it did, but boy was that outfit weird. And I'm not the outfit itself wasn't weird, but like did he don it because he got kinky pleasure out of murdering kids in his house? Or like going on the hunt? Was that his hunting outfit? Who did he? He didn't murder anybody. He inadvertently. Well, he he long murdered. He like he like. Well, Roach died because of a shotgun blast. But I think that's well. No, when he was like telling the kids down there to shut up, he was like sending random blasts through the wood. I'm pretty sure a couple of them got hurt. I I think you're right. But we didn't see the bodies because they just ate them. Are we worried about Daddy and shaming him? 
It wasn't, well, I'm just saying, like, stuff that nowadays you can be like, well, that wasn't nice to make fun of him and his predilections or whatever. Usually you put on a mask and a suit because you want to do some stunt work and you want to disguise your lead actor. But that was definitely Everett McGill. And then there was one great self-referential moment where he was like, I can't see a thing. And he rips <laughs> off the mask. And it's like, yeah, he was probably really frustrated wearing that hot faux leather studded onesie. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So... Everett McGill and the lady, I watched an interview with her. She was talking about the scene of with her and A.J. Langer in the bathtub where she's like screaming, you know, you got your dress all dirty when I told you to clean up the mess. And they used a real wire brush in that bathroom, in that bathtub scene. And she was trying to hold the dress, the fabric of the dress taut and against the porcelain of the tub so she could scrub it with this real wire brush and make a terrible sound. But they were hysterical and sobbing and she was like screaming Bible verses and making it up. She didn't like that. She's like, I didn't even know I knew those verses. And and they were ha- and, and like thrashing and everybody was soaking wet and it was hysterical. And then at one point she kind of heard <laughs> faintly in the background, cut, cut. And they, like, didn't know that they were supposed to stop and stop because they were, like, just all hysterical and thrashing. It's really weird to hear that woman speak in a normal tone of voice about how she and A.J. Langer, like, hashed it out. And they were, like, all nice to each other and and having a great time. Because this the lady, whose name I don't have in front of me, and Everett McGill... There are nobody else. They can be nobody else in this in the in the world than mom, mommy, and daddy, who have always been goofy and dumb, but also terrifying. And she's just maniacal. They were actually uh, husband and wife on Twin Peaks, which I didn't know because I never watched that show. And Wes Craven plucked them directly from that show, and they're like, "You're the crazy parents in my movie." Oh yeah. In a way, so perfect and yet so awful. And goofy and dumb, dumb and overacty. <laughs> but a testament to their character that they can be no one else in your mind. In my mind, yeah. I just hadn't seen them. I, what I was fascinated, seeing her talk like a normal person. Who are the severely beautiful people that can appear scary today? Like, who would be the modern-day equivalent of Everett McGill? Like, maybe... Like, John Hamm should do a horror movie, right? I mean, he's got the square-jawed thing, but like as a as a military zombie or something. Sure. I think Kate Blanchett has a severity that works really well, like all dating all the way back to Elizabeth. But when like even as Galadriel, who's like the most beauteous, so that Gimli is all about right. her like six months after their meeting, she can be cold and terrible as the dawn too when she's tempted by the ring. And Kate right. Blanchett as Hela was great in Thor Ragnarok. I think she could do it really well. Definitely. She was tempting and scary in, um, in Nightmare Alley. Maybe Jessica Chastain, too, could be, like, is due for a horror film. Maybe. She'd have to be, like, all, like, wet hair and straggly and, and, and kind of backwoodsy. Maybe I'm wrong. You know what I'm saying, though? There's, like, the beauty that edges on being scary, like Angelina Jolie in Maleficent. Yeah, I think Hilary Swank has a hard edge that make that could make her scary and intense. 
Yes, in the remake of The People Under Stairs, I'm going John Hamm and Jessica Chastain. Okay. <laughs> John Hamm <laughs> in the gimp outfit. Got him! I got him, I got him, I got him. <laughs> yeah, he dances. He does a jig. <laughs> oh, man. like, uh... And it's definitely a hillbilly thing where they doesn't seem like they should be high-powered or at least uh, high-income landlords in L.A. No. I think they would have gotten a lot more traction out of that house and out of their plan if they had been like in Kansas. Maybe. Kansas or some other Midwestern state that has lots of rain would kind of explain why they had a pond in their yard. Yeah. That's a convenient landing pond. We should have seen it filled with like rocks and broken glass. Um, That pond had to have been at least five feet deep. It, it needed to be for him to survive unscathed. But more likely it was just like a swamp ditch like a la swamp ditch from lack of drainage or something yeah a stand by me level full of leeches and bugs and stuff kind of standing water <laughs> mosquito pond yes exactly it was definitely standing water there's nothing feeding that it wasn't landscaped what was that thing yeah i think they readied a burial plot or something and then they didn't fill it and it just filled with rainwater. and they're like oh it adds to the landscaping Maybe it was like an acid bath for disposing of bodies. If they didn't want to string the skeletons up for decoration, then they just... Stop trying to make this movie better than it is. I'm wondering if it was for kids and stuff. But it was pretty adult feeling. I mean, Everett McGill's talking about cutting off like a little kid's balls. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Where the dog is scary, but that was like the sweetest Rottweiler ever put to film. Like it was like, arf, arf, Aww. arf, arf. But... Uh, <laughs> I think that they had to get a Rottweiler because it's a scary looking dog, but so that they wouldn't have to show its tail wagging all the time. Oh. <laughs> when Fool is like, run! And the dog's like, ooh, I want to play, and like chasing him through the halls and stuff. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a great look for the dog, and it's pretty sad that it gets knifed. Yeah. Boy, they weren't very, they weren't sad about Prince for very long. He, like, had a sad look on his face, but I think it was mostly just because Daddy was afraid of Mommy's wrath. And then later they're like, well, got to get another dog tomorrow. Why did Mommy and Daddy keep the boys at all? They kept Alice because Alice was the, li the little untainted angel doing dirty things with that dirty boy. But if the boys didn't work out, why keep them? Were they raising livestock? Because mm. Everett McGill definitely ate Ving Rhames in this movie. And then he like threw he a did? cut to the boys. Yeah. He's like face was covered in blood and he was like cleaning him or eviscerating him or butchering him or whatever. And then tossed right. the meat to the dudes. So they were definitely cannibals themselves. And I'm guessing it's hard to come by unless you raise your own livestock. Oh, so they were. Yeah. So they were just their livestock waiting to be slaughtered for the next meal. Was that Ving Rhames that was the bloody skinned corpse in the pit? Was that Ving Rhames? Yeah. At the end? Oh, man. Where a fool tries to scare the kids by like going, yeah. woo, by holding up his corpse. <laughs> Spencer was still in his workman uniform or whatever down there. And there were no other bodies that I saw except the, the uh, eviscerated corpse that was Ving Rhames. That tongue somehow held up with like one hand. So in your research, did you 
come across any remake announcements? Uh, yeah, they talked about remaking this movie in the late 2000s. Well, it's strange because Wes Craven seemed all on board with remaking his own properties with other people at the helm. I don't know if he feels they're dated, but you would think some personal point of pride would suggest, oh, my movies are good. Why wouldn't, why would you want to remake them? The remake of The Hills Have Eyes didn't do very well. And I think that killed the plans for the People Under the Stairs remake that he was actively pitching at the time. And in spite of that, they still remade A Nightmare on Elm Street, which also kind of bombed. Hmm. So at the moment, I think no plans to remake this movie. What I'm seeing on IMDb and The Wrap is that two years ago, Universal announced the remake of The People Under the Stairs with none other than Jordan Peele. I can see that. And you can see how the heavyweights, the heavy hitters would why Jordan Peele would champion something like this. It was Peter Jackson's dream to remake King Kong. And that's a big budget deal, the way he wanted to do it. So he needed Lord of the Rings in order to be able to do that, to justify his King Kong remake. Jordan Peele did say that his two primary influences for Get Out was Rosemary's Baby and The People Under the Stairs. So if he championed that and if he's like, I got the direction and the political commentary that was laced throughout Get Out and presumably his remake of The People Under the Stairs, if he has a clear direction, I could totally see that. And they would let him do it. And it would be just as weird and random. (laughs) Can you see how the randomness of this film would totally appeal to Jordan Peele's aesthetic? It would totally appeal to Jordan Peele. So would you get behind it? I I don't think so. I'm just going to say, at Jordan Peele, Jessica Chastain for Mommy. John, John Hamm for Daddy. Exactly. Maybe I might see it out of morbid curiosity because, as I said, I've seen this movie a number of times. But I'm sad to say that I have an announcement here on Or Whatever Movies. And that is that at the close of Halloween season or Halloween XL, as we're calling it, we're having our own funeral here. Because I'm officially retiring this movie from my viewing rotation. This is, I think, the last time I'm going to watch The People Under the Stairs because it was much worse than I remembered it. It didn't age very well, and I saw it so many times as a kid, but I don't I, just, I don't think I can watch it again. It was too bad and didn't have enough payoff for it to be satisfying and to be like, I want to watch The People Under the Stairs. Man, I watched it and immediately forgot about it. And the next day, Brian was like, have you been thinking about the movie? And I was like, what movie? And he was like, the people under the stairs. And I was like, no, not at all. Have you? And he was like, yes, and I'm mad at Wes. And I was like, why? He's like, for making us waste our time to watch that movie. But I, you know, I had to watch this from a critical point of view. And I think it has... I think it does have genre value. And I think it, if you think about it informing something like the work of Jordan Peele, if you think about informing something like Get Out, which is a fantastic film, it validates its place in movie history. But um, but I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, 30 this... <laughs> years ago. <laughs> but, you know, there's gonna, I think this is going to happen more as you age. You're going to realize that some of these movies you will never watch in your lifetime again. It's a sad truth, although this one I'm acknowledging and I'm going to make a, like a pointed focus of why I will not be tempted if I'm scrolling streaming services and I see the people under the stairs. Do I want to watch that? The answer will be, I'm sorry, no. This viewing and discussion of people under stairs officially marks the end of Halloween season at Or Whatever Movies, and we will end it with your final rating, please. 
So again, I remember this movie being a combination of scary and kind of hot with A.J. Langer or whatever, as weird as that is. That, but that's like totally weird now. And so looking back, it doesn't hold a lot of appeal for me, but it did at the time. Critics were kind of divided, but for six million bucks to take in 31 million worldwide is a huge hit for this huge. movie. If Jordan Peele, which I can't imagine he would do, would actually do it quote unquote right, I could see the value in this because it did have value for me as a kid. It was a curious and kind of an uncomfortable rewatch because Kelly Ray so thoroughly disliked it. But um, <laughs> I admire his commitment to this crazy, wacky, fun house of horrors sort of vibe which, as you said, fits perfectly in its place and has a place in film history and the late, great Wes Craven's filmography, I guess. But critically assessing it now, which I never did before, I gotta give it below the line. There's just too much bad about it, and it walks the fine line between horror and comedy. And I've never been a fan of those two terms put together. Uh, an mm. American werewolf in London being the only exception. Ooh, and uh, the one with um, Alan Tudyk. Oh, uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil? Yes. Which was on the slate for Halloween season, and we didn't get around to it. There are, there are two ways to approach the people under the stairs. There's a curiosity, and I guess that's where film criticism and film viewing for personal enjoyment really diverge. Because you can appreciate the people under the stairs for what it was and for what, what it is. What it's trying to do. But I wouldn't say it's enjoyable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of grungy and not altogether pleasant. So if you're not getting the stuff that's really validating about it, it's just kind of gross. It's kind of gross. It's kind of bewildering. I guess I was I, I approached it with some kind of curiosity, but most of the time I was just like, whoa, whoa, that was bold. That was random. <laughs> After watching it, does it hold up as a companion piece to Barbarian in a weird kind of way? Sure. It's like the urban decay thing and then the like increasingly scary levels that are contained within this house. Exactly. I mean, I think be careful if you hole up and like live underground under a house for a long time, you get really, really freakish. You get all ashen and scary and monstery. Despite no sun exposure whatsoever, your skin's pretty tore up. It's probably a vitamin really deficiency. <laughs> it's really tore. You get you get crazy zombified and in some cases super powered yeah i'm going official whatever rating i'm going to join you with a below the line i'm going to join you with an under the stairs boring <laughs> uh for the people under the stairs and there you got it a whatever from wes a boring from iris that's our discussion on 1991's the people under the stairs it was available on peacock but if you haven't streamed it recently you might be s-o-l Nevertheless, I'm sure some of you have this in your, your DVD library, VHS library. I don't know, man. I watched a panel thing for like a Q&A discussion for a New Jersey Horror Con, September 2017. It's on YouTube. There's like three people in the audience Ooh, for the, the cast uh, panel reunion. Really? Yeah. I don't know who this is for. And, and uh, Wes Craven passed away just to get away from the embarrassment of this movie's <laughs> staying power. <laughs> Great. So we did a movie that no one's watched recently. <laughs> all for, We do it all for you, our listeners of Or Whatever Movies podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please give our podcast a five-star rating. Please hit us up at orwhatevermovies at gmail.com, 818-834-0473-87546. We hope that you enjoyed Halloween here at Or Whatever Movies, and we'll see you for holiday and award season 
coming up. So stay tuned and we'll see you next time. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with ElectroCast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of ElectroCast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join ElectroCast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to ElectroCast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid.